0: Morning, church, again. I love that time. Don't feel like you're interrupting me. Like, I love seeing the church connect with each other, especially the welcoming of people you don't know that are sitting beside you. When you do that, just introduce yourself. Let them know who you are and welcome them. Uh, The great sin of a church is when someone goes and visits and no one speaks to them. God forbid that that would ever happen here. So keep your eyes and ears open, and let's make sure that everyone in this place feels the love of Christ through you. And uh, so uh, I'm excited uh, again for our our series. Just so you have a heads up, uh, I believe there's uh, two or three more weeks here on this series and to a finish for Thessalonians, just so you are aware, okay? And um, even though some Christmas music might Seep into the service. Uh, We're going to finish this off because I need to finish it off. Thank you for those uh, notes. And it's really true. I was helping control the deer population. And uh, (laughs) the car was a complete write off, so uh, we got to deal with that. So God bless you for your prayers. And uh, just thankful for all of us here today. All right. First Thessalonians, today we're talking about brotherly love and how it generates respect or brotherly love works, and so I uh, just want to encourage you, and I just need to say by way of introduction, uh, just close off last week, I know there's lots of issues surrounding last week's message, we didn't have time to answer all kinds of questions, uh, and just want you to know that, I very, was very aware of that, I just wanted to purely present the word of what it was directly speaking to, and uh, so I'm not naive about that fact. Uh, we pick it up now in the first Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, and we're, our text today is 9 through 12. So we got four verses, okay? We're gonna read them, and then we'll cycle back. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed, is what you are doing to all the believers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that outsiders, uh, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The word of the Lord. Uh, I want to uh, encourage you with this. We're going to get into it, but let me just say as a broad statement before we head into it, your life is a platform from which you share the gospel, the good news. The foundation of that platform is your credibility as a Christian. No credibility, no platform. Genuine, sacrificial love With diligent work, a diligent work ethic earns respect. I really believe this to be true. And our passage is going to show us how this all works together. So, I want to just dive right into our outline and application. And we're going to walk through the passage to see what it shows us. But by way of introduction, I just need to say... We're going to talk about how to live in light of Christ's return. And you say, well, what are you talking about here? This is going to set up the next two weeks. But the same issue that was happening, that he's addressing here, some of the people did not get, and he has to readdress it in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And what's going on here, just by way of introduction, <clears throat> that Jesus' followers must embrace the reality that Jesus will literally, or theologians say, bodily return to this earth. Jesus' return isn't purely a spiritual matter. It's actually a heresy. Jesus' return is going to be literal and bodily. Now, for some of you who um, are sort of think, how in the world could people see the Son of God and not believe that he came? Before you lean into that too strongly, let me just ask you, how do you think you would be perceived or would you say to your neighbor that Jesus Christ is actually going to physically come back to this earth, maybe tomorrow or whenever? That angst you feel right there, that's what they felt when jesus came the first time and friends we have to understand that our theology the story of god didn't end with jesus rising and going back to heaven and now we just believe some facts that happened back then and that's what christianity is all about the story of god began with his wonderful creation and how he created human beings and put them in a, in in this earth to govern and lead and they messed it up by sinning against him So God chose a people through which he was going to reveal himself and through which the entire world was going to be blessed. And over and over and over and over again, they disappointed him and didn't live up to it. And God, knowing that, had a plan all along. And finally, he brought up a person through that people where the divine Son of God took on human flesh, was born as a man, we're gonna celebrate that in Christmas soon, who lived a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve for each one of us, rose again to show that that death was sufficient and it was powerful in its victory over sin, Satan, hell, and death for eternity, and he ascended to heaven where he reigns in a literal kingdom. You can't see it, it's not geographic. That kingdom is breaking into this world with every single act of sacrificial love that his church worldwide does. And one day, that king is coming back. And that king is going to come back and set everything right. Justice will prevail for every injustice that this world has ever seen. And he is going to establish the new heaven and the new earth for eternity where we will live and love and worship and create and rule with him that is the story the grand story of the scripture so we believe and Jesus taught and the apostles wrote That, the end of the story is not yet here. It is coming. Now, this is not in the notes, and I'm sorry for this, but can I pause and say something? I am beginning to see that there is almost another heresy starting in the church. It's not a heresy, it's misplaced affection. For Christians, they want heaven more than they want Jesus. And Jesus is the point. The sidebar benefit is heaven, the new heaven, the new earth. Jesus is the point. He is our life. He is what everything is all about and He is returning and we are going to be with Him in the new heaven forever. Church, if you have no affection for the return of Jesus but you love heaven, I would just encourage you because I can understand it. It's very natural. But I think your prayer over this maybe coming year might be this. Oh Father, by Your Spirit, through your word and your people and my life, would you cultivate this year a deep, deep love and passion for Jesus? Because he's the point. Amen? Unpause. Jesus said, do you know when he's coming back? If you watch Christian television in the U.S., you're probably getting confused. (laughs) It's interesting, in my young life, I've watched and listened how many times people said Jesus was coming back. Now, do I believe he is? Yes. Do I believe that it potentially could be very soon? I actually do believe this. There are things in play that never before in history are in play. However, anyone who says they know, I don't necessarily trust that. If they say be alert and ready, it could be any time, that's a good, that's a good thing. For in his humanity, Jesus himself said he doesn't even know. Now, in his divine nature, he does, but he gave up that right, right, when he took on flesh. And when he was here on earth, he said, No one knows, except the Father. So no one knows that day, but it is coming. However, Jesus did say often that we are to look for signs. If you don't believe that, start go back and start reading Matthew 24 and 25. Not now. But there are signs. And we're supposed to be ready and be looking, be alert, watching, waiting, ready to meet him. Throughout the history of the church, some have responded to the message of the return of Christ in very strange and bizarre ways. Some have spent their life savings on trips and indulging in expensive merchandise meals, racking up thousands of dollars of debt. Why? Because it doesn't matter. He's going to be here soon. I'm not going to have to deal with it. And then he doesn't. And they do. And the name of Christ suffers. In the Thessalonian church, we're going to discover a very similar response. And the Apostle Paul is addressing it. He starts here. He reveals God's will for how we are to live in light of the return of Jesus. And again, though I believe it could be soon, literally, imminent, it's wise we heed the Scripture's instruction then on how do we love as, live as we wait. Alert, ready. So this is where we're going this morning. Here's the first thing in our passage that Paul tells us the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, how to live in light of Christ's return. First, we love one another increasingly. People think, well, Christ's coming back, then it's all gonna be okay. I only gotta make it right with people. I can just avoid them until he comes back. Uh, uh, uh. Loving others is an ongoing activity. It's a pursuit. And because we are progressing continuously in our personal sanctification That's God's will for us to be distinct. Our love will always be growing as Jesus' character is continually being formed in us. We are not to be stagnant at a beginner's level of love nor to be stingy in whom we choose to love. 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You've been taught by god this is a very unusual expression in the scripture it's used only here in the new testament this phrase the way it's written it conveys the idea of an, an innate knowledge that is made available by an indwelling presence that's the holy spirit god the father has taught us in his word how we are to love jesus the son modeled and showed us how we're to love one another And the Holy Spirit teaches us within about love and guides and prompts us when we should. We should forgive, we should reach out, we should care, we should give, we should do these things. And he empowers us to exercise and express that love. We are taught by God how to love. Our capacity to love others does not come by trying harder. Our capacity to love more comes by yielding more to the Spirit of God. And our willingness to express love to others will reveal much about our hearts because it's a genuine reflection of God's love and his presence in us. So for indeed, he says, this is what you're doing. They're doing this. They're starting to do this. They're moving along. Not just in their local church, but to all believers throughout their whole country, their whole region, Macedonia. But we urge you, Brothers and sisters, even though you're doing this, what did you say? Do this what? More and more. Paul commended them for the breadth of their love even to all believers, but he challenged them to increase their depth more and more, more consistently. Paul uses this present tense in this verb to express the idea of continual deepening action. So... It's not a task that you can finally check off that we've done that and don't have to do it anymore. It's a lifelong process. We can never take a break from loving others, even when they don't deserve it. We cannot obey God's command to love anyone even more if we are selectively, selectively withholding, choosing whom we will and won't love. Friends, I'm going to say this and I just want to encourage you. If your love over the years has not grown for the people inside here sitting in this room. It's an indication that your sanctification is getting stuck here in head knowledge. And still needs to penetrate deep in the heart. We love one another increasingly. That's how we do it. We don't check out once we hear Jesus coming back and now it's a free for all to do whatever. No, we lean in loving more, more deeply, more thoroughly. Here's a second reason. It might sound surprising to you. We fulfill our vocation diligently. God has gifted you. He's called you to serve him in various capacities wherever you live. Or one of our first, or second president of the Alliance used to, in Alliance Canada, used to say, wherever you are, be all there. (laughs) Wherever you are, fulfill your vocation diligently. So many Christians have a compartmentalized faith. We neatly tuck their Christianity away in their back pocket or backpack or purse or computer bag and head off to work, school, or their daily activities. And they see their Christianity as one part of their lives, failing to understand that it is the heart of their lives, the very lenses through which they are to see all of life. They're thinking as kind of employment is for working, school is for learning, leisure is for playing, and faith is for Sunday. But by viewing life in this way, we miss the entire point of their faith. As Paul put it, Jesus is not a part of your life. He is your very life, Colossians 3.4. I did a celebration of life yesterday afternoon for my neighbor, his uh, wife Magda, her mom. Her mom was a very devout believer in Christ. And it permeated her entire life. I discovered as I got to know them and got invited into this situation, there was deep, deep faith in the parents. And as I heard stories from Magda and from her brother, from family members, the, the woman's brother, I realized she had a faith that what he was talking about here, permeating all of life from her business work through to her family life, her work in the neighborhood and the serving of the community, her dedication to her church. You see, it's not some little add-on with a little bit of religion to round out a life, but rather it was the way in which they were to live. Paul says it this way in chapter 4, verse 11, and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Let me unpack this. To aspire means to strive after or be zealous for, and it conveys the idea of ambition. The word quietly refers not so much the absence of words. The word quietly really talks about a state of being in their heart. So in light of the expectation of Christ's return, Paul is exhorting them to strive to live with souls that are faithful and quiet-spirited or restful, not restless spirits, souls that we see in our culture. Like Hebrews says, strive to enter that rest now. Jesus' followers must make it their ambition to live in such a way that they project a restful confidence in God, the one they serve, rather than being characterized by an unsettled, frantic striving for achievement and fame and wealth or a place, you know, these things in which they place their hope. No, we live for Christ in such a way that our hope rests in Him. Our confidence, our quiet confidence is in Him And this is gonna be a witness to the world around us because we are distinct. He says, mind your own affairs. A, A spirit like that, mind your own affairs. There were a few who were busybodies, disrupting, meddling in everyone's life. He says, work with your hands, be responsible, do your work, lean into your vocation. Far from shirking our responsibility to work in light of Jesus' coming, he's calling the church to work diligently. Diligent work done for God honors Christ and gives witness to a watching world. It's a beautiful thing. So here's what was going on. People who thought Jesus was coming back were were quitting their job. They were stopped working. And they were sponging off everybody. So now can you understand? Settle your spirits, church. Mind your own affairs. Quit meddling and mucking around with everyone's life, stirring things up. Work. Work with your hands. He's not addressing people who have been retired or people who are facing unemployment for certain things. He's talking about people who intentionally said, Jesus is coming back, and they just let loose of all responsibility, and they start meddling, busybodies. This is who Paul has in mind. They have too much time on their hands and they were injecting themselves in everyone's business. Remember, Jesus has some very strong words for the lazy, wicked servant who, out of fear and just hid his talents, didn't use them. Jesus has some very strong words for him, those who are lazy and fearful. And that context about the parable of the talents is Matthew 25, when the Lord Jesus returned. So friends, far be it that we do crazy, stupid things by just abandoning responsibility and escaping. If Jesus is coming back, we need to love increasingly and we need to fulfill our vocation diligently. There's one more thing. And that is that we model kingdom life responsibly. We must model kingdom life. The life of Christ, the life of the kingdom of God so that why do we do this why do we not muck around why do we keep working why do we do all these things so that that's the reason he's going to give it right here so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one Let's unpack this the reason is so that we would live in alignment with the way of jesus life in the kingdom of god We work diligently and wait and watch, but keep at living the life of Christ, keep at what he calls us to do. He says to do that before outsiders. Before means in front of, visibly, in the presence of outsiders. Now, this is hard for Canadians. We want to be so inclusive. The fact of the matter is, in the kingdom of God, there are people who are not in the kingdom of God. And here, the scripture calls them outsiders. They're outside of the family of God. But we are to live with diligence and honor. Not mucking around. Loving. Why? In front of. We do this in front of a watching world so that those who are not yet part of the family of God will see. And it's a witness. Outsiders looking at a new movement that was made these striking claims about Jesus, being the Lord of the world, would be interested to see what kind of effect it has on the behavior of its members. So, Jesus never intended we'd be isolated from the world. We're to be visible and engaged in it, doing what he calls us to, living the kingdom life in front of them. And if Jesus is, is in fact, returning we ought to be found doing exactly what God has wired us to do, what Jesus called us to do, and what the Spirit gifts us to do, faithfully serving Him, faithfully living the life of Christ in the kingdom of God, faithfully advancing the purposes of God in the kingdom of God, fulfilling the work He's given to do. Jesus never intended that we intentionally live off of other people because for some crazy reason. You know, there is instruction in the scripture where the church is to provide for others, legitimately. Some of them are for those in dire need or in an extenuating circumstance, the church rallies around and they help them. That's very valid. They do that for a season. Another one is for widows who make the official list. I don't know if you ever read this or studied this in 1 Timothy, but you can read about the official list where a widow could not provide for herself nor could her family so they were put on the list if she could or if the family could then that was fine that was the family responsibility but if they could not then they were put on an official church list and the church made sure they gave and took care of the widow who could not provide nor their family the other were in the Old testament the priests and i know this sounds self-serving but in the newer testament the pastors the head elders they were to be given double honor, especially the ones preaching the word. Those are, the church that had responsibilities to care for the needy, to care for the widow, and to care for those that served in the church. But in the normal course of a verse, people people are to work and to be, you know, provide for their own needs. Not to quit work because Jesus is coming back and sponge off everybody. Do you understand this? So again, Paul is addressing a very serious thing. And he said, if we're convinced, this is my statement, sorry. If we're convinced that Jesus is returning soon, we are to faithfully live out God's purposes within the context of our unique daily responsibilities. We don't head for the hills, run away, escape, or live off everybody because Jesus is coming back. We don't do crazy things. We're responsible to live as God calls us. So, again, in summary, we love one another increasingly. We fulfill our vocation diligently. And we model kingdom life responsibly. That's what we do, keeping an eye out for Christ's return, anticipating seeing Him. And we advance His kingdom Make sense. So I don't have anything else to say. It's pretty clear. I'm I'm finished. I mean I'm not done, but I'm finished. So, let's pray together.